mainly because my father was disgusted with it, and that made me so happy. I think everyone has imposter syndrome, one way or another. Best idea wins. If ever there was a time, yeah, it's now. They say failure is a stepping stone to success. Welcome to The Imposterous. The Imposterous is hosted by me, Michael Knox, and Graham Drew, two rather insecure frauds who will be exploring the motivating and debilitating experiences we all have with imposter syndrome, with a sneaky suspicion that it might just be your superpower if you let it. It's a beautiful time where you were encouraged just to do the craziest ideas, to shock, to come up with wild things. Claudia Cristoveo, welcome to The Imposterous. You are the head of Google Brand Studio in APAC based in Tokyo, and it's great to have you on The Imposterous today. Thank you for having me. I'm just going to start and we're just going to get into it because we would like to explore, Graham and I, your dealings with your feelings of um, imposter syndrome and this idea of viewing the world from the outside, because we're going to talk about this over the time in your travels and where you're from and where you are now. But I saw a talk that you gave where you talked about the importance of not having one dominant culture lead teams and how that may in fact bring people together when when the team is a bit eclectic in itself. And I just wanted to know more about um, your thoughts on leadership and, and culture. Yeah, that's <laughs> it's a really good question just to open up. Um, I was thinking about it and I was thinking that it all depends on what you define by the inside. So when you ask about being on the outside, well, who's in? Are you in? Who am I referring to? That to me is the first question. Um, and what I found is having worked in places that have extremely strong dominant cultures, Anglo-Saxon, male, white, and everything else, they are not, I think, as conducted to imagination and creativity as I like. Um, and maybe my biography has helped me because it is a little bit uh, convoluted. Um, but I think actually many people feel this, that the way to foster creativity is not to have five people saying the same thing all the time, but to have them maybe arriving at the same thing through processes that are you know, built for uh, some kind of non-conformity. Uh, Do you think those processes that could be built into teams bring comfort Therefore, to all the team members, if there's this process of being free to speak your ideas. I mean, that's, that's the bare minimum, right? To be free to speak of ideas is the baseline of our industry. So I, I don't know how, how, what other effort we should be doing. I guess anecdotally, yes, I see it succeeding and being the best for m most people. I think the secret is really on trying to avoid that dominant culture as soon as soon as you see it emerge and trying to um, keep places of um, newness and oddity and divergence um, that are within uh, broad limits fine and and interesting to incorporate and or not or interesting discussions to have um, because they solidify agreements having an agreement that's not tested is not very strong but having an agreement that's tested um, is usually much more ownable by, by uh, creative thinkers. There isn't a single creative department on earth that wouldn't say, oh, we have an open and inclusive culture and look, look at our beanbags and hey, we're open plan. Everybody professes to do that. But I think the reality is, is quite different because you, as you say, agencies 
almost by definition create a culture right you know they create a vibe and this is the kind of work we do and these are the kind of people we are so you automatically kind of adapt to that to be part of the team but at the same point I completely agree with what you're saying the work is only going to be better the more divergent your point of view that are within the mix but enabling that you know giving your team members license and and probably most importantly confidence to be able to speak differently go against the grain is far from easy right it's something you have to actively encourage you can't just be hey no idea is a big no idea is a bad idea anyone talk i mean it means nothing unless that person feels empowered to do so how do you do that or how have you done that yeah i claim very little credit i'm good at casting is as far as i would go um, and I'm not perturbed by uh, strange bios and funny CVs. Again, that's that's as far as I would go. And I think that if you have uh, a casting of 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 that type, uh, in which people bring a lot of different dimensions to what they do and who they are, you actually need to get out of the way and to have minimum rules of of politeness and of uh, loyalty to each other. Um, but other than that, you need to let that mixture uh, brew and, and happen. Um, so I think that there's a lot of uh, doing it by example, but I, I actually don't think it's something you can, inf- can enforce. I don't think you can enforce that we are all going to listen to each other's ideas in a similar way. You can, you can, you can have an, um, an atmosphere that's more conductive to that happening, and you can try to protect that as much as you can. Do you think that there has been a time where we celebrated culture, uh, a corporate culture? But is there a need to celebrate individuals' cultures within that mix? Is that, is that where we've missed out? We've kind of gone, we celebrate what we are as a group rather than celebrating the individuals. Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, you're always towing a fine line because our industry is highly collaborative and you do, you know, you have to develop tools for collaboration and for inter- interconnection. Um, so you, I, I kind of... If I think back of when I started, I didn't love the ego drives that were going on either, which is very individual based, right? Actually, cultures were based on one or two people and on their approach to work and everybody else had to fit in. So I don't think that's interesting either, to be honest. And I think that time is over, luckily. So I don't know that I would default to the immediate opposite. I think what I like to see is groups of pretty uh, non-hierarchical collaboration in which the boundaries of what disciplines, for example, are in the mix are very broad and where people um, have interesting um, different types of skills that are not necessarily obvious and where I privilege the potential of growth of those skills rather than what they can do right now, what can actually be executed right now. Um, because I think that with broad skills and with open-mindedness and with, you know, um, good interp- interpersonal skills and good collaboration, your potential to growth is is colossal. Um, and, and, and then the rest is relatively easy, right? Ignorance is very easily defeated. Um, lack of imagination is not easily defeated, I think. Even as the world has become increasingly connected, rural India has witnessed a widening gender gap in digital literacy. But one woman's story of courage can change everything. Google's Internet Saw the Initiative, led by courageous women who are pioneering a movement to expand the economic potential of India's rural women, has given voice to millions of stories that are creating a ripple effect of empowerment and support 
and on International Women's Day 2021, a tactile mobile platform launched to amplify these women's stories through thoughtful audio and visual design. To best connect with a rural audience, the Saudi women were actively engaged in providing input on how these compelling stories should be seen and heard. Audio recorded by each woman in her own words and in her native language on the very device she has been trained to use helps bring their stories to life up close and personal. You talk about breaking down the hierarchy. It's pretty much accepted these days and anybody that's in a position to hire people has seen how the boxes that people are in are changes. You know, creativity is now hybrid, but we still give people titles, even if in reality they're kind of redundant. You know, you're an example of that. You started out as a copywriter, then you went to art school. And if our currency is ideas, do you think titles are liberating or limiting? And, you know, if you could give yourself a title that wasn't dictated by anyone, what would it be? Yeah, I, I think I am already trying to inhabit my personal title, which is something like creative director at large. And the at large for me is evocations of the jungle, you know, being out there somewhere doing all kinds of different things. So I, I try not to be too far from what I would like to be, let's say. Um, I think titles are extremely important and you should leave them all behind. They're very, very important validations in the course of, of work life. They're very important validations in the course of a study life, if you will. I mean, they are things that kind of benchmark achievements and successes and they're important. We are not all free from confirming even what we know I don't love the idea that you you should be reduced to them. And I think if you scramble the eggs enough, you can't put them back in the egg. <laughs> so, you know, the omelette is, is done. Uh, that's what I find interesting. What about even the classic ones like um, art director, copywriter? Do you think that's still relevant? I think not as much. I still love to see craft um, mm. executed well. But I think you don't you don't um, snuff out craft by giving people more space, um, because people who like detail and who love to understand a medium in its entirety and profoundly, um, they will do that. I can call them anything; it doesn't matter, right? And they can call themselves mm. anything more, more crucially. So I think that opening up the possibilities of that, if that leads again to craft existing in media that it it wasn't at, or words that we've never seen, or connections that we couldn't come up with, uh, I'm all for opening up the title and letting the craft happen or letting the specific knowledge be there um, and encouraging it. I don't think opening up titles means we're all broad generalists of no, no depth at all. I think that's always the challenge, isn't it? Because um, I've, I've had conversations where people are like, oh, we don't, have art, we don't have art people or copy people anymore. They're all just creatives. And I'm, I'm quite cynical of that because I, I agree with you there always has to be a room for craft and there always has to be a room for specialty and just deep diving down to the, you know, the detail. The, the, the key is not to be hostage to your title, I think. You know, the key is that, you know, yeah, you might be an art director, but that doesn't mean that you can't write and vice versa. It's just an interesting one because I, increasingly when I'm hiring new people, right, they don't have these titles anymore. They just have like, a, oh, I'm a creative. And yet, when you talk to them, they do have a bias towards a certain skill. Um, they're perhaps not so tied down to it anymore. It's an interesting territory, especially when it comes to confidence, I think. Because as you say, titles predominantly give you validation. They give you... you well, know, I started right as a copywriter in Portuguese, and that was pretty useless for what I wanted to do. So 
is it important? Yes, it was a huge win for me to be a copywriter in Portuguese. And then quickly I started being a copywriter in my third language and you can call that whatever you want. Hmm. So we go from there. I, I have, I have a, an adherence to titles in the, in the measure that I can disregard them. I'm also a student. I don't know anything about what I'm studying. I, I go back to school with very alarming regularity. So I can have no title and I have hmm. no idea what's happening. And then I learn something. So I think it's also for your ego, titles are good if you're not tied to them. I wanted to ask you about other t- another, another title and it's a conversation and I'm interested in your opinion as to whether you think it's an old conversation. And I also want to get in there a little bit of your thoughts around radical candor and maybe some radical candor on this subject. Women in tech, women in business, female entrepreneurs, how much longer do we need to kind of isolate women as women in tech? Do you think that that has caused progress or do you think that now, I, I, I'm really interested in where that is because um, it, it's a constant subject we, we have here about the, how we get to equality and what equality looks like. And I just wonder about, you're obviously, you know, in this fantastic position where you, you, you are with, with the tech company, our tech company. So this person in tech, and I'm just interested in your thoughts on, on that progress or not. I think that um, women have been disappointed generation after generation from expecting equality. So I don't know that the subject is um, dealt with, if you will, or finished. So I think yeah. it's generated a, a swirl of insincerity um, that's been very unhelpful. It will be done when we don't need it. I, I, I'm involved in, in, in everything that I'm involved in that refers to equality. I wish for these projects to be over and for us not to need them. Um, but I don't know, I, well, I know sadly that we're not at that point. In fact, I think they should all be, or many of them should be directed to men. Women know that they're smart and what they can do. I don't think women have that many questions about what can happen. Um, the power structures are still what they are in many cases, right? So who can change them is the question. It's just the need for, for more men to get behind them then these projects, these processes, this thought, this belief, it's, it, that's where it is. I think, I think what we find with that history is not that men need to get behind them, is that men need to get out of the way and not prevent them from happening, right? Uh, it's been more than, oh, I have failed to support. It's been actively uh, gatekeeping, for example. So, and I, I'm, I'm saying historically, so none of the presents are necessarily uh, on my, on my, uh, on my uh, sites here. Um, but historically, it's been way more than a, a, a lack of attention or a crucial detail that has been missed. It's been a pretty consistent um, position, right? A pretty consistent problem. So I think that there has to be a revision of structures that is not talking about equity, but actually building it in, in very practical terms. Diversity isn't about ticking boxes, tokenism, or being politically correct. It's about difference. Difference is our industry's most powerful tool, and difference is responsible for some of the industry's best work. Diversity drives innovation, and that's what drives business impact and success. Through the simple device of hiring different people, we got much better ideas. But too often, difference is driven out by bias, prejudice, and toxic cultures which leaves the creative industries homogenous and without diversity of perspective. 
and that's just not good enough. The idea that we are not made up of those very people that we're talking to, frankly, is bloody mental. So he reached out to the industry and started something. Rare. Rare started as a three-day MBA-level masterclass that equipped Rare talent to thrive rather than leave. It was a first-of-its-kind diversity solution. Rare talent flew in from all over the world to attend, and the world's most renowned creative leaders joined to teach. Hopefully, these cats are less afraid of hiring somebody that doesn't look like them, talk like them, act like them, and brace it because they know it's going to make the creative work better. If I had one message for the industry, it would be, sort your fucking shit out. Diversity makes better work. Then we took it global. Rare represents a hotbed of talent. One of the great things of the masterclass is bringing all of these people together. We've spoken quite a lot about this, and it's one of the things that, um, one of the conversations I had that really resonated with me was talking about unconscious bias and the fact that actually that's just a privilege. It's a privilege to have unconscious bias, and actually people use the unconsciousness tag as a get-out clause. It's like, well, I didn't know. It's just like, well, no, that's... You can't say you didn't know. It's a privilege to have that unconsciousness. And actually, the only way it's going to change is not to say, I don't actively discriminate, is to actively not discriminate, <laughs> is to actively get out of the way and actively be aware that perhaps you don't know what you're doing. You know, just supporting something and reposting a logo is bullshit. You know, it's nothing. You have to actively address this stuff because it's so systemic. You know, even if it's not, overtly enforced, it's there and it won't go anywhere unless you actually try to take it down. It just, don't, it just won't. And all of the statistics bear that out, don't they? We've been talking about equality for the longest time and yet the imbalance is shifting so slowly, it's insane. And, you know, in, in the tech world, you know, it's like the ad world, you know, it has the same problems. And um, we recently had a guest say that actually imposter syndrome doesn't exist in her, in her view. Rather, what does exist is thousands of people, especially minorities, women or ethnic or whatever, that simply haven't been given the credit or opportunity that they deserve. You know, so it's not imposter syndrome. It's just that all of these people that have had their entire careers where they just haven't been recognized or they haven't been promoted or they haven't been given the opportunities. What do you think of that based on your experience? Yeah, I resonated a lot with that. Actually, I listened to that one. Uh, and, and I resonate with some of that. I kind of want to include the cultural clause here to say imposter syndrome as an expression is a wildly Anglo-Saxon and Saxon definition too, that in other cultures is very hard to uh, translate, in many other cultures, I would say, um, because the these kind of binaries and these kind of paradigms are, are maybe more fluid or they're maybe uh, less spoken. So even sitting here and talking about imposter syndrome is something that I can't translate easily to some of the languages I speak badly because it's it's not a it's a very specific thing and again it comes from um, a worldview and a certain industry right that operates in in very specific principles. So again, the idea of imposter syndrome refers to being on the inside or being on the outside of really clear boundaries that are actually clearly enforced. And I would agree that a lot of that has to do with uh, with that your intrinsic value is not appreciated more than you are or not a match to the place. I think what it led me as well is to what I think are strategies of othering that are multiple and exist in all kinds of levels, right? Where you come from, what color you are, et cetera, et cetera. 
Um, and those strategies of othering are maybe what I feel like I've encountered more than feeling necessarily like an imposter. Um, but again, this is a concept I'm adopting uh, that is pretty foreign to me, anyhow. So othering, did you say? Yes, which is another foreign concept, but yes, <laughs> I'm right. going to use that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, 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 I like that. What motivates you then? Uh, and I ask that because there are some people that we've had conversations with who are motivated by proving people wrong or mm. they're motivated by changing it for the better or motivated by their team. I'm interested what motivates you to, to keep going, keep creating. You know, This isn't an easy job you have. Yeah, I mean... I it's not, and yet we are very privileged and we operate in a very interesting uh, layer of this creative industry. Um, what I think is inter interesting in this industry is that you can have very readily access to amazing creators, to amazing collaborations and to huge audiences. Uh, and having also uh, practiced as an artist, it, it, that's quite different. Uh, the, the scope and the, the, the strength of impact and the immediacy of impacts are very different. Um, so what I think is interesting and motivates me from a creative perspective is, is those opportunities. And again, they're not made of people like me. I already know my own ideas and I like them fine. I probably need to see other people's ideas to, for, for other things to happen. I think that the byproduct of that is that or, or maybe let's say the tool of that is that you have to set up a certain way of working and, and you have to set up a certain openness to what can happen uh, because otherwise you're not really um, creating newness or, or, or inhabiting that. So to me, the, 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 the shape of a team is, is highly conductive to that idea that in the end you are looking for the best possible collaborations, the best possible talent to surround yourself with and to have access to um, and, and to and to broaden that as much as possible. Yeah, I think it's, yeah. a, I mean, that's a gear shift, which which we should own, you know. You, you enter, you enter this industry, this field motivated by your own ideas because you believe that that's crap and I can do it better. And then at some point you get into leadership where you need to be motivated by other people's ideas. I and mean, if you make that change from backing yourself to kind of, you know, because you need to back yourself, you can't just kind of be passive and progress, but you back yourself and then suddenly you back your team, you're an asset. Yeah, that's true. Uh, somehow I found that to be maybe a shorter period in my career or maybe something that I feel defines me less. Um, but the other day I was judging, and, and this is, happens often in award shows, right? You still have those scales that you say, this is the silver because I love it. And then this is a gold because I'm jealous and I wish I had done it. And it makes me think, is there another industry where we actually put the lowest emotion, right? Jealousy, envy, the least productive emotion yeah. is something that we actually reward. Um, I, I, yeah, I just don't know that that's uh, where we are headed in order to make uh, better things in, in more interesting ways. The Criterion Award shows is a whole other podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no, and I say this without, you know, uh, no, it's I, just something I, that I note once in a while. And I think that's kind of interesting. I, I probably would say, oh, wow, I really want to talk to these people. And if possible, I could, could I hire them? 
and if possible, can we work together at all? Um, yeah. Um, Mike, you had one last question, didn't you? Oh, yes. Okay. So I was interested from Google's point of view, not that I'm expecting you to speak from Google's point of view, but are Google's products designed to make us feel less like imposters? The subject of this is about fitting in, you know, belonging, knowing our way, feeling in place. And I wondered a lot of the Google kind of public products that we use, be they, be they as basic as searching, be they as basic as maps, is that all about fitting in? Is that all about kind of feeling, is it a comfort factor? Is there a, a security in a, a tech platform like Google that allows me to feel less like an imposter? I'm trying to draw a connection that may not be there. Yeah. I don't think I can give you that connection because, yeah, it's true. I can hardly speak for whoever created, you know, admittedly amazing products that um, that have really changed the world. Um, I think the sheer factor of access and of a certain equality of informational access is huge. And we see it changing lives all the time, right? And we had a recent pro uh, project with um, women in India, and it's just staggering uh, what happens when the, there's that access. Uh, and that there's that potential of information being shared across. So I, I, I probably would say the best things about that aspect of technology for all of us, right? And, and for most anything that we can have open access to. Um, I think Google has had that in, in its DNA, the idea of open sourcing more than owning. Um, and that's something that I resonate a lot with. Anything on this subject that um, you wanted to add that you haven't had the opportunity to? I think that what I speak to now with people I have workshops with or that I mentor is that I find it quite sad that it comes up very early on in people's careers. Um, and it's something that uh, I think it's useful from a purely theoretical creative perspective in terms of thinking you can always do better. Um, so I think it's useful almost as a private tool, um, but I think it's very damaging when it feels like it's it's a mirror of a situation. And, and, and I would agree with that other uh, speaker who said, you know, in that case, it's probably the situation that needs to be uh, reviewed. What what I personally have found interesting is that there's a way to spread your belongings by many different things and to not maybe adhere to any particular orthodoxy. But that's because, again, I grew up in a, in a, in a, in a time where creatively you had to be a very strict shape in order to be successful. Uh, and I didn't find it particularly interesting or inclusive. Um, and I think that many people have veered towards doing a few different things in different ways and with different types of investments and to kind of have different mirrors in very different equations. Uh, and that I find that quite enriching. And I think it gives you a, a healthy um, distance from this type of inherent judgment saying imposter syndrome is negative on negative on negative um, so i think that there's ways to to turn the natural human desire to be a part of things especially for creatives actually which is not very acknowledged because we're all meant to be rabid individuals with entire universes of our own i think there's a way to make that work by challenging yourself to shift your belongings and to, to try new things, really, to try new places to be a part of in different measures, maybe. 
um, I at least found that very stimulating. I don't think it's always a win, but I think that that's a big learning. Um, and, and it helps you have, again, that maybe healthy distance from uh, one strict view. That's such an interesting perspective. I think, you know, as creatives, we all say like, you know, go out, do different things. The, the bigger your experience toolbox, the more firepower you have when it comes to ideas, you know, go do weird stuff, go see different things. I mean, we all kind of talk about that and it's totally true, but said from the frame of spread your belongings, I've never thought of it that way. It's, um, it's fascinating actually, because, you know, when you are less hostage to a singular culture, you're less likely to feel apart from it, right? Because you've got other things that you can feel very secure about. I think that's so interesting. Spread your belongings is great. I love that as a thought. It's very cool. Thank you, Claudia. Yeah, thanks, Claudia. Not at all. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Bye. Thank you very much for listening to The Imposterous. Apart from our fine, imposterous guests, none of this would have been possible without the help of the following wonderful frauds. Firstly, Andrew Stevenson at We Love Jam Studios, best music and sound house in Australia. Without his help, this would have been a series of WhatsApp messages with emoji responses. And also Hilton Moday, who has graced us with his theme music that you're listening to now. If you would like to catch up on all the other podcasts in The Imposterous series, visit theimposterous.com. Here you can also get in touch with us via email.